Welcome to the Presence Podcast from Hope Community Church, Wyndham. You can find more resources and connect with us through our website at hopecommunitychurch.co.uk. We hope you'll be encouraged and inspired as you listen. We're starting a new series. Um, We started last week uh, in the prophet Elijah and Elisha because they've got so much to teach us about hearing God's voice. So our text this morning is 1 Kings 17, 1 to 7, and we're looking at hearing God's voice in stepping out, in stepping out. So this is a a life-changing moment for the prophet Elijah. We don't know much about his or anything about his early life because uh, there's a big silence about that in the Bible. But uh, he's God's man for this moment in Israel's history as we take up the reading in a few moments. Now, let's be honest, your life and my life is going to be very different from Elijah's. This is the 21st century, folks. This is not the middle of the 9th century BC. Here we are. We live in Norfolk or in the UK. Some of you um, may be further afield for watching this uh, today. But there are moments, aren't there? There are moments when we, like Elijah, have to step out. There are moments that are life-changing moments where we step out of our comfort zones, and this is what's happening to Elijah this morning. Now, I wonder if there have already been some huge, life-changing moments for you. Is that true for you? Maybe you've uh, got something very vividly in mind as I say that. Or perhaps at the moment you're facing something really significant, something huge, some big step that you're about uh, to take. Maybe it's a big decision, a big decision maybe as a, as a person, as an individual or a family. It may be something about your career, a business change, something that's got huge financial implications. It may be a daunting relationship issue, maybe something even that involves confrontation and you know you've got to step out, you can't ignore it uh, anymore. It may be just moving out of your usual comfort zone to serve God in some new way. That might be the way that you're stepping out. Or it might be, well, it might be a whole new season of life for you. Maybe there's been uh, some setback, maybe even some terrible personal loss that you've faced. And so you've got a whole new season opening up before you. Well, God wants to speak to you this morning through this passage Because whatever it is that you face, whatever where you may have to step out, it's absolutely crucial we hear from God. This is the time you need to hear God's voice, to be listening to what God has to say to you. And when that happens, you can step out in faith. It's not a leap in the dark because you've heard the voice of God. So let's start reading 1 Kings chapter 17, which was introduced uh, brilliantly last week by by Grantley. And let's see what God wants to say to us this morning. In verse 1, Elijah suddenly bursts on the scene, and it's in Israel's royal palace. We've been hearing a great deal in the last week about royalty. Here's a very different kind of royalty here. Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives... Before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my 
word. Now, God's name hadn't been heard in this palace for a very long time. Ahab's reign was summed up like this. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. So these were years of unprecedented spiritual crisis in Israel. Baal worship had taken the place of the God of Israel. And so there were all sorts of bizarre ceremonies, depraved uh, rituals, and they were all promoted and all driven by the king's Phoenician wife, Jezebel. Now, this Baal worship was essentially a nature religion. Baal was said to control the weather. He was said to control the seasons. He was the one who guaranteed harvests, fertility, life and death. And it's actually sobering to realize that the religion of our ancestors here in Britain was very similar. So at the time that God was revealing himself to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, ancient Britons were gathering at stone circles like Stonehenge and Aylesbury and they were engaging in nature and fertility rituals at defining moments of the year. But Israel's history was so different from that. They'd been privileged for God to reveal himself to them and also to lead them out of slavery into a, a land of promise against all the odds. And yet, and yet, by the middle of the 9th century BC, they'd gone back to all this. They'd gone back to nature religion. They'd gone back to Baal worship. But Elijah is God's man. Okay, Elijah is God's man. In fact, that's what his name means. So break the name down, El, God, Yah, Yahweh, the Lord is my God. That's what Elijah means. And so he steps forward, he steps into the palace, and he says to the king, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives. In other words, Yahweh is the living God, not some dumb Canaanite idol. He is the living God, and I'm God's man. Now, thousands are capitulating at this time. You know, they're, they're living in fear of Jezebel. But he stepped out, and he stood up. Isn't that wonderful? Don't you want to be that kind of person? But where does the courage come from? Where do you get courage from to be able to do such a thing? Well, he tells us, Elijah tells us, he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand. Before whom I stand. Elijah has come from the presence of the king of heaven. That's where his courage comes from. In fact, he says he's still standing in the presence of God. He's in this dangerous place. Elijah is facing the king of Israel, but he's more aware of standing in the presence of the king of heaven than he is in the presence of the king of Israel. He's carried the presence of God with him. And that's what happened. It's a wonderful truth. When you spend time in the presence of God, you carry the presence of God with you wherever you go. So where's Elijah been all these years? I mean, this is the very first time that he's mentioned. No one appears 
in a king's palace with such prophetic boldness without a significant history in God. A significant history in God. You don't appear like this on a whim. Elijah has known God's presence for years. He's been prepared beneath the radar. That's what happened to Jesus. We know very little of the first 30 years. Jesus prepared for those three years. The pseudo-Gnostic Gospels try to make up all sorts of stories about those 30 years, but there's a silence. It's deliberate. There's a preparation time, a long time, before he steps out onto the public, public stage. So Elijah carries God's presence as he steps out. It's not just bravado. He's come from the presence of God. And because of that, he knows what to do and he knows what to say. He's got a message from God. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. He's got a message from God. Now, where's this weather forecast come from? He's evidently heard the voice of God, but I think that Elijah knows he's on solid ground because the message that he senses, he's hearing, is in line with the covenant that God had made with the nation centuries earlier. According to Deuteronomy 11, the withholding of rain was a sign. It was a sign. You see, the land that God had given Israel was utterly dependent on rain, just as the people were utterly dependent on God. Okay? And so, rain was a sign of God's blessing and favor as the people depended on him. But when the people turned away from him, drought was a sign of his judgment and a call for them to come back to him again. So this is the message that Elijah is bringing. It's not some novel message. He hasn't made it up. It's not out of the blue. It's in line with the covenant that God had made and that people embraced. It was the Mosaic covenant. The next years, he says, are going to see a total drought, not a drop of dew or rain unless I say otherwise. And of course, this is also significant if Baal was a weather god. Yes, we get that message, don't we? Archaeologists excavating the ancient city of Ugarit in Syria in the last century discovered a whole number of images of Baal holding a thunderbolt. He's a weather god. He's a storm god. <laughs> and Elijah saying, Baal's not in charge of the weather. God's in charge of the weather. There'll be no rain. There'll not even be dew until I give the word. It's quite a message, isn't it? A message from God. I expect Ahab thought Elijah was deranged. He probably had a snigger. He was probably very angry. But nobody was laughing when months went by without rain. And then months turned into years. And Elijah is now public enemy number one. And Jezebel's got a spy scouring the land to try and find him. And so verse 2, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah, depart from here and turn eastward 
and hide yourself by the brook Kerith, which is east of the Jordan. So there's a time to step out and there's a time to lay low. And once again, it's because he's close to God that he knows what to do and where to go. And the direction is to hide at Kerith. But that's not the real place of safety, is it? Kerith's not the real place of safety. The real place of safety is God himself. Elijah is being invited to trust God through a time of great danger and uh, uncertainty. God himself is our hiding place. Do you want a safe place? Do you want a safe place? Then God is the safest place to be. You know, in 1971, I, I listened to a young woman who was about to travel to what was then the Belgian Congo. Just as a coup was uh, taking place, an army coup, the generals were taking over, and there was a lot of violence in that place uh, at the time. And I remember her saying that she'd been told many times, it's far too dangerous. You mustn't go at this time. You're just a young woman. You'll be very, very vulnerable. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. That's what she said. The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. She said, I'll be safer there if I'm in God's will than I would be crossing the road here out of God's will. I've never forgotten that. Now, when you trust in Jesus, the Bible says your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's a safe place to be, hidden with Christ in God. Now, that might seem a world away from Elijah and his hiding place in, the, in Kerith, but it's part of the same stream. God provides a safe place, and that is himself. Verse 4, you shall drink from the brook, and I've commanded the ravens, the ravens to feed you. Elijah is learning about trusting a God to provide his needs. Now, in the wilderness, we know that, that, that God had provided through manna in, in, over those, those years. But ravens? Come on, ravens? Was God really asking him to believe that ravens were going to feed him? You can see what go, what's going on, can't you? Elijah is being trained in God's school of supernatural life. Now, I've got a little word for little word of warning for those of you who are on the current course. There's a daytime course, an evening course. But have you come to the session yet on being fed by ravens? <laughs> did, did they warn you about this at the beginning of the course? Because it's coming up soon, folks, the, the one about being fed by ravens. Um, I jest, of course, but sometimes God does provide in the strangest of ways. The saintly David Brynard who worked amongst the North American Indians in the 18th century, his biography was written by the great Jonathan Edwards, describes in his journal how he sheltered in a forest from a ferocious storm inside a great tree for three days, during which time squirrels brought him food. No prizes for guessing what, what they brought him. So the, the prophet, Elijah the prophet, 
who's actually famous, isn't he? He's most famous for the amazing contest on Mount Carmel and fire falling down from heaven is being prepared in stages because you don't climb Everest without scaling some high mountains first, do you? So stepping out, stepping out, uh, Elijah takes him on a scary journey. He, he ends up in the king's palace and then, and then by a brook as the spies search for him. So what's the big message today? Here's the big me- message today for, for us. We need more than bravado uh, to venture out of our comfort zone. Okay? That's the message. We need more than bravado. We need to be sure we're listening to God and hearing his voice. And where that's the case, we can step out with faith, whatever the adventure, whatever the challenge might be. Now, I'm going to tell you a story now. Are you sitting comfortably? Okay, I'm going to tell you a story, and it's a personal story. So you'll have to forgive me for being very personal for the next 10 minutes, okay? Many of you got stories to tell, but this morning I want to share one episode from our life together, Liz and I, uh, and then apply it uh, more broadly. So I'm going to take you back 20 years now, when I had uh, hair of a slightly different color. This is 2002, and I want to take you specifically to a Friday in October of 2002 and two at a a church leaders meeting, church in South London that Liz and I had moved to from Brighton uh, nine years earlier. Initially I'd led the team but now handed on the leadership of the team to the youngest elder and he was holding the reins now. And an item on the agenda that Friday afternoon was my being released part-time from the team to lead a new training base for our family of churches in the London area. And I was going to be based part of my time in Catford and heading up that training base. So we were discussing this on the agenda that afternoon, but it soon became very clear that we couldn't support another team member out of the team with the church growing as it was at that time. that would make three of us from this fairly small eldership team who are now part-time or full-time out and about on the wider, wider work. In fact, the young guy who is now leading the team could do with building a whole new team. And so by the end of the meeting, it was decided that it would be best for me to leave the team within the next year. Now that was a bit of a shock. That wasn't on the agenda at the beginning of the meeting. Um, And so I came home and suggested Liz has a seat on the sofa before I tell her what's happened in the meeting. Okay? Now, Liz never likes to move at the best of times. Um, I'm the one who's quite, you know, galvanized by change, but, but Liz isn't so much. And so, but everything had happened so suddenly and unexpectedly that we were both in shock. Um, and, and that Sunday, two days later, uh, I was still the same. We were still feeling that. And, uh, you know, we had the Sunday morning meeting to go to in, a, in an hour or two. Anyway, I, I took an early morning walk in, in the local park. And I was really quite downcast at the turn of events. I was struggling still with the way things had turned out. And I remember as I walked, I began by saying these words to God. I said, Lord, it feels like I've jumped from a plane and my parachute hasn't opened yet. 
That's exactly how I felt. Have you ever felt like that? You jump from a plane and your parachute hasn't opened yet. And in a flash, a little voice came in my head and said, Yes, that's what happened. But you didn't jump, you were pushed. And it was me who did the pushing. I mean, it just came out of nowhere. And immediately I saw myself at the open door of a World War II plane and it all became clear. I was in uniform, this was a mission. You've seen movies, haven't you, from the Second World War? And in that moment, my parachute opened. You know, when you see somebody's parachute opening, movies of, or films, suddenly they're yanked up, they're launched back up, aren't they? Pulled right up into the sky. And that's what happened. I felt my heart lurch as my parachute opened and I felt myself soaring and suddenly I was exhilarated. <laughs> suddenly I was full of joy. It was a supernatural moment. In that moment, faith just was injected into me and I saw it. I, I realized what was happening. But of course, this wasn't just about me, was it? There were two of us falling to earth. There were two of us strapped to this parachute because Liz was, was strapped to this parachute as well as me. And so I turned around and in a very different frame of mind, I started to walk back home. And as I started to walk back home, I remembered three incidents. And these three incidents came into my mind as I walked back home before I arrived back to Liz. The first one, I recalled a visit two years before of a uh, mega church leader from Singapore, a man called uh, Lawrence Kong. And he'd been doing a conference at our Brighton church. I'd visited Singapore, I'd visited this church before. I knew a lot about him. And uh, he's a, a really significant guy. And at the end of one of the meetings, he was praying for lots of church leaders. And so I thought, I want to get in on this. And he was prophesying over some and praying over others. And it was a long, long line. And I was at the end of the line. And it was at a time when I was actually struggling with my knees. More of that later. I had a, a really touch of arthritis in my, in my knees. Anyway, I waited an hour and a half. And eventually, I got to Lawrence Kong. By the time I got to him, he looked absolutely exhausted. I thought to myself, I'm going to get the crumbs here. And then he looked at me, and this is what he said. And this is word for word, because my dear friend Nigel Ring always had his little tape recorder with him in those days. And this is what Lawrence Kong said. And I remembered this. I couldn't remember it word for word as I walked back in from the park, but the gist of it. So he said this, the Lord's taken you... Through many paradigm shifts, he's moved you from one thing to another. I thought, yeah, absolutely, he certainly has. That was our history up to that point in time. And you say, Lord, is it finished? And he says, not yet. There's more to come. But it gets easier because you've opened yourself up to the surprises of God. There's a growing receptivity. And so the Lord says he's going to expand your mind in new ways. He's going to tell you things that make you say, no, there's no way. But you listen and you'll move. You'll take those steps because as you do so, doors will open. And when you take those steps, you'll be in a new paradigm. Not so much think of thinking, but in action. A new paradigm in moving beyond your understanding. The Lord says you're going to leap first and then you're going to look. 
And the Lord will give you the ability to do, to do that. It's, it's not, us, not, not usual. That's not what you normally do. But as the Lord says, leap, you look and see what he's done. Now that became a really significant word for us, not just in that moment, but later, about the whole new paradigm shift, something I'd never done before, I'd never thought of doing before. Secondly, as I walked back from the park, I remember two weeks before, just two weeks earlier from the, this moment, when God had spoken to me when I was reading my Bible. And God had spoken to me through Exodus 3, where Moses was at the burning bush, and God was calling him to go back and, and lead the people out of slavery. And he was 80 years of age at the time when that happened, 80 years of age. And that so lived with me, that whole passage, that I actually, that Sunday, brought it prophetically to the church in South London uh, that I was a leader of. I thought it was for somebody else, this message, okay? I thought it was for somebody else. And so this is what I said. I said, this is for someone who's no longer young. You're not to think that your days of usefulness are almost over. Quite the opposite. Your most important work is still to come. God has new things for you to do. There's a sense of urgency about this. And uh, on bringing this, one of my fellow elders turned to his wife and said, that's not for somebody else. That's for John himself. And it looked like it was right. I thought it was for somebody else. Has that ever happened to you? You read a Bible passage, God speaks to you. You think, oh, I wonder who that's for. And it's for you. And then the third significant thing, again, I'm walking back in the park, and on the previous Sunday, so uh, that was, the other one had happened two Sundays ago, this one, the previous Sunday, a good friend of the church, in fact, the one who was actually talking with me about leading the, the new training base was our guest preacher. And he'd brought a message to the whole church, a challenge to the new church about church planting. And then at the end of his message, he asked everybody to stand who was available to God, whatever that might mean, whether it was church planting or whether it was something else. Stand if you are available to God. Well, I hear this, I'm sitting in the front row with Liz, and I think this is a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer because for me to stay sitting would, would say I'm not available to God, okay? So surely everybody's going to stand, I'm available to God. And so Liz and I are in the front row, I turn to Liz and I say, I think we should stand. And she looks at me and she says, if you say so. <laughs> She's here, she can confirm that. So there we are, we stand together in the front row, and I, I sneak a glance over my shoulder and realize that very, very few people have stood. Have I misunderstood the call, the invitation? I, I thought it was obvious. Anybody is available to God? I'm available to God. Anyway, several people came up to us at the end of the meeting and said, are you thinking of moving? Are you thinking of going away? And I said, no, I've got no plans at all not realizing that within one week, God would take us up on our very public stance. Well, you said you were available. Anyway, I, I'm thinking of these three things as I walk back in the park, and I get home, 
And there is Liz, she's been concerned about me as I've left because I was a bit down and she's been down. So she's been praying while I've been away and she's been asking God and she's asking God for three confirmations that this is of him. And I come back and I tell her these three things. But God always gives us more than we ask for because she suddenly remembers another thing, another sign that God had given her personally two years earlier at a Stonely Bible Week. And I'd been crippled with arthritis at that time. It was round about the same time as the Lawrence Kong prophecy. I had arthritis in my knees. I was out for the count for several months with this, uh, this arthritis. And in one large meeting at Stonely Bible Week, the Holy Spirit was powerfully at work ministering in this meeting. And, and Liz was flat out, horizontal on the floor. And the Holy Spirit was speaking to her and whispering to her. And she made a note in a little notebook afterwards of what he said. And he said this, this is not the end for you and John. Like Abraham and Sarah, you're going to serve me and go to new places in your older years. It doesn't end here. And so here we are, we're sharing, and suddenly there's a whole new perspective on stepping out, a whole new perspective on what's happened. Uh, and yet we're still surprised. You know, you, you call it all to mind, you gather it all together and you realize that actually if you'd stayed in the plane, you'd have missed out on the drop zone. You know, we needed to be pushed out in order to land at the correct destination at the right time. And it proved to be, in our case, church planting from scratch in Northumberland with one other couple. And I tell you, for an enterprise like that, you need to know you're hearing from God. And over the next... 10 years of church planting, we needed to know that we were called from God and we'd heard from God correctly. As did others who joined us in that enterprise. They needed to have their own serious call from God. Now, I haven't got time, alas, to tell you some of the pointers that led us to church planting in Northumberland, but I've got to mention my prophetic tea towel. My prophetic tea towel, you heard it correctly. Just one month after my parachute opened, I had to travel to India uh, to do some teaching at our training base uh, at Mumbai. And by that time, Liz and I were already sensing that uh, rather than just a sideways move to another, another church and Bible teaching, God was calling us to church planting, something we'd never done before, a paradigm shift in action if there was ever one, and the northeast of England, which is my home area, was probably going to be the, the destination. So we'd already begun to uh, see that faintly as I travelled to India. And what did I find in India? On the wall, in the room where I did my teaching to the Indian leaders, hung a northeast of England tea towel. I've got it with me. There's a photograph. There was a photograph there of me just to prove it was there on that wall. But um, when we eventually arrived in Northumberland, the same tea towel was on sale at our local shop. Now, this is where holding a microphone is a bit awkward. Isn't it? There it is, my prophetic tea towel, folks. How about that? So it's got things like Hadrian's Wall on there, it's got Lindisfarne, it's got Annick Castle, all the you know, places that we became very familiar with in, in church planting. 
in Northumberland. I suspect a tea towel was also saying something about humble service, don't you? It wasn't an ermine gown that was hanging on the Indian wall. It was a tea towel. So um, a tea towel that's used in service. Okay, so that's my story. That was a very, very long story for Liz and I, just to give you a personal example. Um, but the thing is, God's always speaking to us because he wants to be involved in our lives. And as we enjoy his presence, we learn to recognize his voice. Now, many of you got stories. Tell them in your life group. Tell them in your, in your community groups this week. Encourage one another with your stories because God communicates in all sorts of different ways. Did you notice he spoke initially to us in a team meeting? So he spoke to, spoke to me through a whole team gathering together. Pray for the elders. Pray for our leaders when they meet, that they'll hear God together. And when you're in life groups and you're sharing things, be open to hearing from God through one another. It's a really important way of God communicating to us. But he speaks more personally too in your Bible readings. For me on that occasion, it was reading from Exodus 3 about Moses. But scripture is usually one of the first ways in which the Spirit of God makes known to us God's will. He speaks through the scriptures. Do you open your Bible regularly? You know, I am truly shocked sometimes talking to Christians how little they know their Bibles. Some who have been Christians 30, 40 or more years, I'm truly shocked. Because if you really want to grow in God, you need to have your Bible open regularly. It's nothing to do with some kind of legalism. It's because God's wanting to speak to you. He's wanting to share things with you. He wants... It's just a living word. The Bible, is, it's unlike any other book. It's a precious, precious way for God to keep speaking to us. Is that a challenge for some here this morning? When did you last open your Bible? I'm really out, open it. Not just some cursory look, but seeking God, hearing from God, enjoying his presence. And he speaks to us also through biblical preaching. That's what happened in that situation for me. You know, that's how many of you came to faith. You came to faith by preaching and you responded, didn't you? you? You responded to the preaching. You did something about it. You acted on what God said. We can all feel inspired for 10 minutes, can't we? But this is about being willing to follow through, taking action as a result. Now, the guys at the preaching team will know that I've got a bit of a, a thing about the way we talk, talk about preaching. Because for me, true biblical preaching is bringing a message from God. It's not giving a talk. Now, I think we often slip into this, this language of giving a talk. Giving a talk is very different from bringing a message from God. Because bringing a message from God demands a response. Giving a talk, well, you can give it a mark out of ten. That was a good talk. That was not such a good talk. That was an interesting talk. But a message from God, folks... You know, when Elijah went into King Ahab, he didn't bring a talk, did he? I've got this talk on the weather, King Ahab. Would you like to hear about it? No, he brought a message from God. And boy, it really was a prophetic message. So, biblical preaching. We, what is God wanting you to do, even this morning? Do you know, it may well be that some people started listening to this this morning 
very settled, very comfortable, and by the end of this message, they realize God's wanting them to step out in some new way. Wow, you weren't expecting that any more than we were expecting going church planting 20 years ago. But God's on your case. Now, do something about it, okay? Because God wants a response. Thirdly, God speaks to us when the Holy Spirit sometimes comes upon us. In my case, it was walking in a park. In Liz's case, it was in a, a meeting with thousands when she was horizontal. I think these moments are very special and unusually rare. And it means that when they do happen, it's something very special that's taking place. You know, it's worth taking time to rest in God's presence. That word that was brought earlier by Karis for the meeting applies for our daily lives. Time to just rest and enjoy and abide and to lean in and to seek him. And boy, these are precious times where suddenly he begins to whisper things. You were talking grandly last week about the whisper of God, and that's how he, he operates. I wonder if God is going to do that for some of us. And then it may be through the prophetic. Lawrence Kong, for me, on that occasion, I don't think this is an everyday experience when you get life-changing prophecies. I think I've only had two or three uh, significant life-changing prophecies in my whole in my whole life. Usually they've come from people I don't know and people that don't know me. Usually they've had some strong clue in them that what they're bringing is genuinely from God, something that only he would know about me. But uh, boy, those two or three have been life-changing. You know, we need to test prophecies for their weight, weigh them. Some prophecies are wonderful, but they're fairly lightweight. And they bless you for the moment or for the week. Others are substantial and they're life-changing. And so that's what I'm talking about here. There are so many ways God can speak to us. And some of them are way out of the box. I'm nearly finished now so the band can join me. Is that okay, Richard? Thank you. I think he was in another world there. His eyes were glazed. He was looking to the sky. Come on out, Richard. I'm just assuming you are enjoying God in that moment. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt there. What's that? We're going to move. Okay, right. Can I just finish my last word? All right. I've preached too long, folks, this morning. But there were extra things in. First five, Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kerith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. This is all very well, isn't it? But what happens when the brook dries up? What happens? Verse 7, after a while the brook dried up. And because there was no rain in the land, what happens when the brook dries up? I, I suspect most of us who've stepped out in new ways have met unexpected challenges and setbacks. This too seems to be on the syllabus of God's school of supernatural life. What's going on? Has he led us up the garden path? Has he provided for a season and then forgotten about us, left us high and dry? Not at all. And next week, next week, we'll discover that God has got something else in store for Elijah. The classic loner is going to be placed in a family home with a widow and her son. And the location is significant. It's called Zarephath, 
which means smelting furnace. There's no place like a family home to continue the revining process. Thank you. Over to you, Mark. Thanks for listening. To connect with us or for more resources like this, go to hopecommunitychurch.co.uk. Thank you.